You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Hello and good afternoon. Uh, today it's a wonderful sunny weather here in Jönköping and I am at the Jönköping Academy. And my name is Nicolina Wackerberg and I'm development leader at Kulturum. And today I'm having a dialogue together with uh, Johan Tua. And uh, Johan, you are also a participant here at the Jönköping Academy or you're a lecturer. Um, can you just introduce yourself and also introduce what is Jönköping Academy? So the Jönköping Academy is a, a center for um, um, teaching and research on quality improvement and leadership in health and welfare. It was founded in 2009 jointly by um, uh, the Jönköping County Council, the region uh, with Kulturum and uh, with the 13 municipalities in this uh, region and uh, the university, uh, Jönköping University. So they all um, agreed that they were interested in these issues of quality improvement and leadership and health and welfare and saw the need for, uh, for an academic center that would focus on these things. So they joined forces and set up the center and I had the good fortune to be the first uh, director for the center. Uh, and uh, we've been going now for, uh, for over nine years um, and uh, uh, pursuing teaching and uh, research as intended. Okay, and, and Johan, who are you? Uh, so I'm um, uh, I'm a physician. I trained uh, medicine at Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm. Um, early on, I thought I uh, would become a, um, a clinician who would see patients and help them with their health problems. Um, uh, after a while, I began to realize that there were other things that um, concerned me, interested me uh, a lot, having to do with um, the quality of the of the healthcare that I was part of. I thought that it wasn't as good as I would like it to be. Um, and when I started to try to suggest ways that we could improve things together, it wasn't very successful and often not so popular, which was very frustrating to me because I had really uh, thought that I would be part of excellent healthcare. And, and when I didn't feel that that was the case, um, it was very frustrating and disappointing for me. And then when I also found that it was uh, difficult to improve things, uh, it was even more frustrating. And um, uh, I became a bit disillusioned, really, with uh, with uh, going into medicine for that reason. Uh, a little while later, I had a chance to learn more about quality improvement. I, I studied at the Harvard School of Public Health in Boston, United States, and uh, was exposed to the then emerging ideas of um, continuous quality improvement in healthcare that had, uh, had um, started in, in, in healthcare a few years earlier. Um, and this was very inspiring to me and brought back hope to me uh, because I saw that this could help solve some of the challenges I'd seen. It provided um, a, a, a logic, um, a systematic approach to improving things uh, and it would help uh, overcome many of the challenges that I'd seen in my uh, early clinical work. And so uh, after that, um, I, I then returned to Sweden and um, by chance really had a chance to work with um, a big initiative at the University Hospital in Stockholm, the Hodinje Hospital at that time, 
to apply some of these principles. And so I then had a chance to, to take what I had learned in school and apply it in the, in the real, real world setting of healthcare, which was um, very rewarding, interesting. I learned a lot and, and the teams that we worked with also were able to improve healthcare a lot. And that really then became the defining um, area for, for me and my work and has continued to be my main interest and my main focus. Um, and, and in different ways, I've worked with improving health and healthcare uh, ever since, both as an academic, as a researcher, and as a teacher, uh, and as a practitioner in the health system. And I've worked with uh, improving different aspects of care, uh, evidence-based practice, patient safety, um, uh, logistics improvement, reducing waiting times, and all these different aspects um, uh, where there often are challenges in healthcare and where there is room for improvement. So, so um, uh, that's a little bit uh, who I am. And you say where there is room for improvement, um, there is always room for improvement. And what do you think, where is the room for the coach? Do you need a coach for improvement or can you do improvement without coaching? I think ultimately long term, the ideal would be a situation where everybody is equally capable of improving their own work mm -hmm. continuously as part of what they do every day. I don't think we're there yet. I think it may take a while until we get there. And uh, sort of in the interest of speeding up the process of improving care, I think that there is a great um, uh, help, potential help in having uh, coaches or, or, or the role that I had for five years, a uh, facilitator, which in many ways I think are similar roles. Uh, the main point being that you uh, are focused on how to improve things and helping uh, practitioners, clinicians in this case, improve their own work. Uh, when you don't know the, 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 the methods and the principles for how to improve things, it can be quite difficult and, and research shows over and over again that that the majority of improvement or change initiatives in, in any organization really, including in healthcare, fail. They don't, they don't achieve the outcomes that they were intended to achieve. And so that sends the signal, I think, that change is often difficult and challenging. And for that reason, um, um, it makes good sense to have support from somebody who knows things about how to improve more successfully so that you in, in, increase your chances of, of um, achieving those outcomes, uh, improvements that you aim for. So how would you describe um, the best coach ever in uh, improvement for health and social care? With a deep understanding of how health and social care works, what it does to help the people we are there to help, patients, clients, uh, achieve the outcomes that matter to them. Uh, we use the saying, all the time what matters to you and once we've identified what matters to those who are trying to help we need to think hard about using our professional knowledge skill and experience to do the things we can do to help make that happen um, and when we step back and look not just at individual people patients clients that we try to help but we look at our service as a system where we continuously see patients with similar kinds of problems, we figure out that we have a process for doing certain things. And it is that process that we try to improve when we're working with um, systematic quality improvement. Um, and so we're trying to find ways to achieve the same or better outcome for our patients in a more successful way, perhaps more efficient, more satisfying to the patients and clients, their loved ones, and for those of us who, who do the work clinicians, social workers, and so forth. Um, and so uh, there, there is um, a strong uh, 
um, um, a strong appeal in the idea of synergy, that we're trying to improve things both for, for those who serve, patients, clients, family members, and so forth. Um, and very often, um, it is actually possible to um, to make uh, things happen that way, that it's, it, it is improvement from all of these different stakeholders' perspectives, which I think is one of the hopeful aspects of, of improvement and of facilitation coaching as well. You said you need to take a step back to see the process. Mm -hmm. um, so could you describe everything in health and social care as processes? Uh, not everything, uh, but uh, more than we think. Uh, and again, it's partly a matter of how you uh, characterize this and what you expect that this sort of process description uh, can do. Um, but we know that there are, are many things that are, are familiar and that are that we do over and over again. How to make a diagnosis, how to um, uh, explain something, how to um, um, try out a treatment that will work for, for a patient and so forth. Um, those are kinds of steps that are generic that, that look similarly uh, many times when you do them over and over again. And so it's that process that we then seek to improve. Uh, continuously and um, the needs are are the needs for for health improvement welfare improvement are, are are you know plentiful and we we are here to try to meet those needs uh, we have limited resources we have plenty of resources but there is a limit to them and so we also need to always think about how we use the limited resources we have uh, most uh, effectively and efficiently in other words, so that we can help as many patients, clients as possible with the resources we do have. So how, how would you know where to start? Um, there are many places you can start. Um, when, I, when I talk to young colleagues who have become interested in this field, I often say start very small and start with something that you yourself actually have some control over. Um, and that can often be something that is really within your own entire control, the work you yourself do every day. If you're a young doctor, perhaps you've started to write uh, prescriptions or you're, you're, um, you're writing notes when, when a patient is discharged from hospital, perhaps. And there, there may be things that you could improve. Uh, once you've done this uh, a few times, a few weeks in your practice, you begin to see perhaps things that aren't working as well as you would like. Maybe you get feedback from other people. Maybe you can ask for feedback. And there you can identify things that you could uh, make some changes to so that they would work even better. Um, and so, so that's one, one way to think about where to start, is to, to start really small and, and close by. Uh, if we then switch and, and, and take the perspective of an organization, say a large hospital or, or a health organization, um, then uh, a common approach that I think is very powerful is to, to start where you can have the biggest impact. Um, and, and Intermountain Healthcare, for instance, that we uh, partner with and, and have learned so much from in, in the United States, their, their big approach was really to look at all the care that they provide and identify which types of care, which types of services are most common, the, the things that we offer for, for people in our community the most frequently. Uh, and in their case, they found it was... Um, um, women and newborns and they decided to start with a certain aspect of, of childbirth because that was the largest volume for day and they reasoned if we start and really make improvements there we will free up a lot of um, room in our system so that we can allocate some of that time for the next improvements we want to do so that is that's another way of thinking about where to start
Okay, um, I hear you say two things. Start small first by yourself to mm -hmm. just to learn the mm -hmm. the methods uh, and then try to find out what has the biggest impact. But you said something else. If you don't get feedback, go and get feedback. Mm -hmm. So so um, how do you want to encourage that? Do you just go and ask people or, or how can you coach yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there are several ways to do that too. Definitely you can ask people. Uh, often I think um, keep it as simple as possible, but no simpler as Einstein uh, apparently said. Uh, but, but to ask people often is a good start. Um, and if you don't, if you think that once you ask people and, and you, you feel that you still don't, haven't learned enough, didn't get enough feedback, perhaps then you need to think about additional ways of gaining feedback. I think another approach to, to learning is uh, reflective practice to try to develop a way for yourself to um, look at what you're doing yourself and reflect on it um, and, and try to draw conclusions, uh, identify areas that you could improve, that would, you would like to improve and so forth. And sometimes that reflection may also lead you to ask more specifically for feedback about some aspect of your work that you think might uh, be possible to improve. So now you are a bit talking about be your own coach. Mm -hmm. okay, I think that's okay. uh, that's a, always a helpful component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think so too. Um, but how can you lift this from be your own coach to be a good coach for your team? Mm -hmm. uh, the reflective practice. How do you lift that in your team? Uh, again, there are there are ways to reflect. There are ways to make it uh, easy and uh, effective to reflect. Uh, um, in the work that, that uh, we did at the, at the University Hospital at Hodinje, we, we actually wrote notes from every meeting that we ran with the clinical teams. And we asked these teams after each meeting, what worked well today? What could we do differently next time to make it more satisfying, more efficient and so forth? So we tried to systematically collect that type of feedback and then we would go over it and I mean, some things you can change immediately until the next meeting. Some things might need sort of more creative thought and, and innovation to, to make it better. Uh, but certainly you can build that into your daily work. Um, and again, I think uh, keep it as simple as possible is, is a good guiding mm -hmm. principle. And I, I think you say what went well. We start with what went well, which mm -hmm. is a positive start. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, oh, what did, what did go wrong and how can we do it? Mm -hmm. And you didn't use the word what goes wrong. You, you used the word what can we do differently. Mm -hmm. I think that's also in the language of coaching, mm -hmm. how you choose your words, how important that is. Do we have an idea about the language? Uh, no, I agree. And, and I've learned from you also about the, the, the notion of uh, solution focus. Um, which I wasn't aware of back then when we did that work so much. Uh, I can see the power of that. And, and as I understand it, there's there's good empirical research support also for this, uh, that that uh, when you take a more solution-oriented um, view, uh, it opens up. Um, basically, you get access to additional resources in your own mind and, 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 and uh, in a group and so forth. Uh, it's often easier to, to move forward and to solve a certain uh, task. Um, um, more successfully, more quickly, if, if you take in a solution focus as opposed to taking a problem focus where you mm. dwell on the things that are difficult, that are hindering you from getting where you want to go. Sometimes they are very real and they need to be managed to overcome some way, but there is always that danger that you get stuck there and that you sort of become so bogged down by thinking about the problem and, 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 and you can't move beyond it. Uh, so, so I think that's an interesting balance to strike.
I remember we had a discussion about the word. Um, shall we talk about problems or shall we talk about challenges? Mm -hmm. Which maybe is the same, mm -hmm. but it's just another word. Yeah. And what kind of feeling do you get when we talk about the problems? And what kind of feeling do you get when we are talking about challenges? Mm -hmm. And as a coach, I think it's quite important that we keep the energy level mm -hmm. in the group. Yeah. Um, so it's not only make improvements and do your methods and have a lot of competence, but it's also having a feeling of what is the energy in the group. Mm. So so how, how are you balancing that? Do you have any... Well, I have many thoughts when you said that. I, 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 I'm also reminded of one of the important functions, I think, of good coaching or facilitation is um, managing conflict. And conflict in a, in a team or a group that's trying to uh, solve a problem or address an, an issue or a challenge, uh, sometimes conflict actually is a source of great energy. Uh, conflict sometimes arises when there is strong feelings about one view versus another view. Uh, maybe different stakeholders make slightly different um, analyses of a situation and so forth, come to sometimes contradictory conclusions or views on something, and that can create problems and, and conflict. And conflict can also drain a lot of energy in a group. But a successful uh, coach or facilitator often can turn that conflict uh, and, and sort of release some of the energy uh, for good purposes instead to uh, enable the group to uh, manage the conflict, uh, clarify, uh, move up uh, and beyond uh, that, that disagreement so that the group can continue its work and, and perhaps get, get further. And in fact, again, uh, the feelings, the passions that, that often uh, are involved in, in conflicts in groups can actually then be redirected to something uh, that helps the group move on and, and uh, solve the situation. Mm, but it's quite difficult if you are talking about conflicts. It can also go the other way and the conflict can be bigger. So how, as a coach, can you get it in the positive way and, and, and well, maybe not solve the conflict, but move be beyond it? How, how can you do that? How do you do that as a coach? So there are several techniques, of course. Um, one is, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the group techniques in quality improvement that are, are often used, brainstorming and multi-voting, different, uh, different ways of doing that. Um, um, Fact-finding, uh, actually collecting some data sometimes when there is a disagreement about how something actually is, the, the actual situation. Uh, facts can be very helpful, so, so some data collection can help a lot in those situations. Uh, of course, uh, it then helps also if, if the different stakeholders who maybe have different views are, are open to the answer, uh, depending on, on what you find and so forth, and willing to, to accept it to, to some extent. Um, another way to, to uh, open up and, and move beyond a, a, a conflict, uh, I think, often is to, uh, to take a few steps back and think about the bigger purpose, the mission. Why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, and and uh, to find the common ground again. What is it that all of us actually agree? What we really care about? What we are trying to do here? And once we have that agreement, then we can um, approach the situation with the conflict in a different way. I think often and and be able to 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 move on because we can see that we are able to find a way forward that will lead us to that uh, common uh, goal that we have. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, it's it's about the, the language. Uh, if you use the word conflict, it's maybe st static, or what it's mm -hmm. called. But if you use the word, it's a dynamic tension. Oh, mm -hmm. now we have a group and we have a dynamic tension. Um, 
by addressing it, it's okay, this is in the room, we see that this is happening in the room, uh, but it's dynamic. Mm -hmm. So how can we use this tension to, to get to the, our goal, to our mission, to our purpose, and to remind them again, why are we here? So I think you, that, can be, that can be opening up. And I think it's also interesting, uh, language matters, I think culture also matters. And I, my understanding is that, that the, the view on disagreement or conflict differs in different cultures around the world. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, as a Swede, I think I'm often quite conflict averse. Uh, I think many of us Swedes are, are a bit uncomfortable around uh, open disagreement and conflict. Uh, we don't like it very much. It makes us uneasy and, and to sort of shut down, I think. Uh, and I know in other cultures, uh, for many people, conflict or disagreement is sort of the best way to move forward. Is, is that that's what gives people energy and enthusiasm, that we were able to disagree and, and have a big sort of argument. Uh, and that opened up new ways of understanding a situation so that we could then move forward. Uh, so so I, I've, I've learned, I guess, um, over time that, that um, there are different ways of, of experiencing uh, disagreement or conflict and, and uh, managing it. And... Uh, and um, uh, so I guess uh, another thing for a good facilitator or a good coach is also to have situational awareness and adapt the approach to coaching and facilitation to whatever group you're working with and their situation, including culture and so forth. Uh, there are also differences uh, in groups, uh, for instance, um, uh, how well people know each other, how much they trust each other, there may be power imbalances that certain professions have much higher status and things that they can sort of call all the shots, so to speak. And, and that's also an issue that facilitators, coaches uh, uh, often need to, to deal with and be mindful of and help a group um, uh, be successful uh, given those kinds of uh, imbalances. So if you as a coach see this um, power play going on, mm -hmm. that somebody's taking the word every time, mm -hmm. how, how are you making that imbalance in a nice way? Mm -hmm. Well, one way is to use other techniques than just uh, talking in a group, having a verbal conversation one person at a time. That's often quite an inefficient way to use the com combined resources of a group. That's one reason why brainstorming using post-it notes in silence, for instance, can be a good complement. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, that's a way to, to counter that problem. And it's also the case that, that, that we're all different. Some people like talking in groups, uh, whereas other people are very uncomfortable talking in groups and it doesn't work very well for them. So even if a facilitator were to sort of encourage them to, to speak up, it might in fact uh, be hard for them. Uh, so so um, I think for that reason too, uh, it's often helpful to have sort of a have a a, um, a portfolio of different modes of working together uh, that 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 complement just the, the the most common form of meetings that I think we have in Swedish organizations and many places, which is again conversation one person speaks at a time. It's often a pretty inefficient way of working together. Okay, so we've been talking about the differences in culture, we have been talking about conflicts and maybe dynamic tensions, and now you say, well, maybe it's not necessary that you have one person at a time speaking. Um, so should it be the Italian way that everybody is speaking? Uh, no, 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 I, 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 more mean, I more mean that you use other um, um, meeting techniques yeah. uh, than, than uh, verbal communication. Yeah. Uh, for instance, writing on post-it notes can sometimes be very helpful. 
um, again, data collection, looking at um, uh, data displays can be another way of, yeah. of, of yeah. Uh, accomplishing cer certain tasks. Um, I mean, we, we're always, we're human beings, we're always going to need to, to talk to each other, including in groups too, I think. But, but I think in many groups, uh, you could improve efficiency, get sort of, get to where you want to come more quickly uh, if you use uh, several techniques, not just uh, traditional discussion. Okay, I think that was a nice uh, summary of uh, this uh, conversation. Or do you want to add something else? Oh, it's really fun to talk about this. Okay, things. well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. And uh, maybe we have a part two another time. Thank you, Johan. Thank you. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden. <laughs>